When the elementary kids are welcome at this time to gather out in the foyer for the beginning of our children's worship time for Treehouse. And as they do, let me invite all of you to open up the scriptures with me today to the New Testament letter of Ephesians. We are in Ephesians chapter 3 today. We are here this morning uh, to celebrate grace. We're here to celebrate God's acceptance, God's love, and God's forgiveness that He has and does give to us. We're here to celebrate grace. And the writer of this letter, the writer of Ephesians, was the Apostle Paul, a prolific author, a pioneer missionary, uh, one whom anyone who has spent much time at all in church has heard about. And Paul was absolutely gripped by God's grace. Upon his conversion to faith in Jesus Christ, Paul never got over God's grace. He was fascinated and floored by God's grace, God's grace that was given to him. And so this morning, we want to hear what Paul has to say about this grace that God has given to him. Ephesians chapter 3, our text is verses 7 through nine. Let me invite you, if you would, to pause with me to join me standing uh, for the reading of, of God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 7. Let's hear what Paul says about God's grace. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this Grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Oh, Lord, would you help us now? Would you instruct us now? Would you teach us now? Would you guide us now? Would you shape us and change us now by your Spirit's presence through the proclamation of your word? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, a couple of things that are going on here at, at Meadowbrook currently. We're, we're, we're studying through the book of Ephesians. We're journeying through this New Testament letter, Ephesians, that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in the first century. And then also we are working through, we're reading through during the month of January, our, our church covenant. And for us, those are commitments that all who are part of this, this faith family uh, commit to together. Our church, un, church covenant unpacks who we are, what we believe, what we value. It unpacks our mission statement. It's built around our mission statement, which reads this way. It says that we exist... To glorify God by knowing God through biblical worship, growing together as disciples of Christ, and going throughout the world with the gospel of Christ. Knowing, growing, and going. And today we come to the third of those core values, going throughout the world with the gospel of Christ. Missions. The grace that this guy Paul is celebrating here uh, isn't just God's undeserved acceptance and love and forgiveness, but also for Paul, it's the privilege of taking that news, it's the privilege of taking that message to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the non-Jews, to, to the nations of, 
of the world. That's what Paul is recounting here. That's what Paul is articulating here. That's what Paul's expressing. That's what he's celebrating. And likewise, uh, Meadowbrook, likewise, church, we say in our covenant, we say as followers of Christ, we will value missions. We say we will spend our lives to make God known among the lost. Recognizing that Jesus is Lord, we will strive to share and to show the gospel of Jesus Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, and to the ends of the earth. We will generously give time, talents, and resources in support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout the world. That's what we say. That's what we commit to when we join this faith family, to join a mission that is much bigger, that is much larger than any one of us, to exalt the God who sent His Son to save us and to see Him praised by people across Birmingham and around the world. And anyone, any, any time that we, we talk that way, any time we talk about working or striving for a particular end, our default posture is in our own strength, right? According to our own wisdom and power and effort, like there's a job to do, let's put our heads together and let's get it done, right? I mentioned earlier that we'll have Spain Park Baseball team with us in the second service. And I, when I think about sports and I think about the effort and the intentionality and the training and the drive and the posture with which in sports or, or any particular activity that we put ourselves to, that we try to be the best that we can possibly be. We want to shine. We want to get ahead. We want to be a star. We want to do all that we can to shine. But imagine the difference in posture if when we play baseball or basketball or football or play in the band or, or sing or preach or whatever it is that, that we do. We're not doing so in our own strength with a pressure and dependence upon our own wisdom and courage, but recognizing the gifts that God has given to us and utilizing those for the glory of His name, to exalt Him. What a change in posture. What a change in attitude. You see, Paul's not commanding the church to get busy doing missions. That's not what he's trying to convey here. He doesn't berate the church for their lack of evangelism or even provide a comprehensive strategy to reach their city. What is he doing? Instead, this pioneer missionary, this apostle to the Gentiles, leads by example, right? Knowing that missions isn't a duty to be imposed or a guilt trip to be received, but rather a joyful privilege and natural overflow of encountering God's saving grace. Missions celebrates grace. Do you know about God's grace? We talk a lot about God's grace. We believe that salvation is by grace. But you know, a lot of times we act and think as if we don't really understand it. I think about my own kids and some of the things that we do, the practices that, that we do. And I thought about this. I thought about... The common practice in our own household, our kids know that oftentimes if you eat your dinner, you, you're going to get dessert. Maybe not always, but oftentimes if you eat a good dinner, you may get dessert. And it's come to be expected. And so it happened yesterday, I think it was. Uh, we got up and we, we made chocolate chip pancakes 
for breakfast. And you know, we ate them. We consumed them. They were good. And my four-year-old came up to me after eating his pancakes for breakfast and said, Daddy, can I have my dessert now? And I thought, number one, we, we don't eat dessert after breakfast. And number two, you just said chocolate chip pancakes smothered in maple syrup. What do you think that was? But this expectation, we often live and think that way. And sometimes I think we approach God's grace that way. We don't recognize that it's a gift that is undeserved. But we think it's something that, that we deserve, that we ought to receive. See, even though Paul's in prison for preaching about Jesus, he's absolutely overcome by the gift of God's grace to him. He cannot believe it. God's undeserved acceptance and mercy, his love, his forgiveness, that's transformed Paul from an undeserving, unworthy sinner to a servant of the king of all kings. And friend, the same invitation has come to us. The same invitation has come to you and to me, to go from being enemies of God to being friends of God, from, from opposing God to knowing God, from sinners to servants of Jesus Christ. Have you gone from a sinner to a servant? See, if so, you've got something to celebrate. As sinners made servants, we now get to celebrate God's grace. That's the news that Paul's recounting here. That's the news of the gospel as Sinners going from sinners to servants. We have something to celebrate, and that is God's amazing grace. Are you celebrating grace? See, Paul's celebrating grace. He's a prisoner, but not of Caesar. Even though it's the Romans who've locked him up, but of Christ Jesus, chapter 3, verse 1. And a servant of the gospel Verse 7. Listen to what he says. Verses 7 and 8. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. This, this prisoner, Paul, he is floored that God would love and call and use him. He's already mentioned the particular grace that was given him to now take the gospel, to preach the good news to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to the nations, that it's gone beyond the Israelites, that it's for all people. He's already recounted the gift of God's grace given to him in that way back in verse 2. And then twice here in verses 7 and 8, he says the same thing. He's not bitter, right? He's not burdened. He's not angry or argumentative. He's in awe that he gets to serve Jesus. See, when the Spirit of God shows sinners that they're saved and only saved by the grace of God, then saved sinners begin celebrating the God of grace. The Spirit of God shows sinners that they're saved and only saved by the grace of God, the undeserved favor and kindness of God. When the Spirit of God shows sinners that they're saved and only saved by the grace of God, then saved sinners begin celebrating the God of grace. We get the impression here that there's nothing Paul would rather do than share Christ. He celebrates the grace of God by becoming a servant of the gospel. There's nothing he would rather do than share the love of Christ because he knows he doesn't deserve it. But yet he's received it. So notice here how Paul describes himself. What does he say? He says, less than the least 
of all the Lord's people. Elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. See, Paul's writing knowing that those that he's writing to know his story. He knows that surely most of those residing there in Ephesus who have become followers of Christ know of Paul's history, that he was a self-righteous Pharisee who, who, yes, wanted to honor the Lord, but believed that he could do so in his own strength, in his own effort, in his own power, so much so that he missed the very one that was sent from on high to save him from his sins. Paul, believing that he was serving God by eliminating idolaters, he killed those who worshipped Jesus. He made it his mission to stop those that were claiming that Jesus was Savior, that He was Lord, that He was the Son of God, until King Jesus Himself dramatically and miraculously interrupted Paul's life and saved him, rescued him. He saved Paul, and then He sent Paul to proclaim salvation in Jesus to anyone who would believe. Because saved ones are sent ones. And this Paul knew he was unworthy to be saved, much less to be sent by the Savior. You see, God's grace humbles us. We're here this morning celebrating God's grace, and God's grace humbles us. It ought to humble us. This pioneer missionary, this apostle to the Gentiles, this prolific author of 13 of our New Testament letters. He's not puffed up or proud, but self-described as the prisoner of Christ Jesus and a servant of this gospel and less than the least of all the Lord's people. Is he humbled by the grace of God, but not heartbroken? He's not discouraged, and he even tells the church that he's writing to, don't be discouraged on my account, don't be discouraged because I'm in prison for the gospel. How can this be? How can a suffering servant of Christ gladly go on declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ? Only through the power of God. See, God's grace humbles us, and God's grace empowers us. God's grace humbles us and it empowers us. Paul says he received God's grace to take the gospel to the nations. How? Through the working of God's power, verse 7. He knew it wasn't up to him. He knew it wasn't about him. But it was about exalting the one who made him and sustains him and who has called him. Church, I I shouldn't be up here this morning speaking to you today. Preaching the word of God to you. Like, who am I for such a task? I shouldn't be here today or any day doing this except for God's power and His grace. Right? undeserving of the king's grace and unable to proclaim the gospel except for God's power and God's grace. And and I dare say that David shouldn't be up here leading us in worship, leading us to worship the king of all kings and the savior of the world except for God's power 
and God's grace. None of us should be gathered here in these pews, in the company of the redeemed, in the presence of the Most High God, except for God's power and His grace. Oh, church, may we spend our lives celebrating God's grace. What a privilege to know and to serve the King of all kings. We get to serve Jesus. We we get to proclaim the riches of His grace, and He supplies the strength for us to do so. How? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, with His incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul says that power is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when He raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. In other words, God's mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that gives weak and wounded sinners strength to know Christ, to grow as His children, and to go with His gospel. Oh, may we know God's power. Oh, may we experience His power and His grace. May we know God's grace. May we, like Paul, celebrate God's grace to us. And the place that we will forever see and celebrate God's grace is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so church, may we be a people who meditate on the cross. May we meditate on the cross day after day, year after year, decade after decade, for all of eternity. May we read and reread the gospel accounts of Jesus' death upon Calvary's cross. May we sing of the cross May we contemplate our Savior's suffering, His willful suffering for us, for you and for me. For it's at the cross that we see the depth of our sin and the immeasurable riches of God's saving grace. Praise God, we've had opportunity this morning to sing of the cross. The mystery of the cross, that's what we sing. I cannot comprehend the agonies of Calvary. You, perfect, holy one. Crushed your son. He drank the bitter cup reserved for me. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you made your friend, pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness, no, no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. Your, the Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Right? Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, Thank you. The sinners made servants. We get to celebrate God's grace, proclaiming the incalculable riches of Jesus Christ. It's one of the ways, a key way, a central way that we celebrate the grace of God in our lives is by joining the people of God down through the ages and proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming the incalculable riches of Jesus Christ. Part of celebrating God's grace is proclaiming His grace. See, Paul's not just recounting the riches of God's grace in saving Him, but he's also recounting the riches of God's grace in commissioning Him to proclaim the riches of grace to those who don't yet know it. And so he says in verse 8, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. What grace? 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. That word for riches, Paul's already used three times in this letter to describe the lavish nature of God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ. The first time, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, In Jesus we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And now, in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul calls it the boundless riches of Christ, or the unsearchable, the unknowable, the untraceable, the incomprehensible or incalculable riches of God's grace. What is he saying? His point is that the news of God's inexhaustible saving grace is now made available through Jesus to everyone who believes. To every people, every person, Jew, Gentile, religious, irreligious, believer, unbeliever, it's available for all, Jew and Gentile alike. It's available to you and to me. And the extent of this good news could only be accomplished and revealed by God Himself. That's what he's saying. It's as if Paul is saying, no one saw this coming. It's better than anyone could imagine, and it's true. Everyone's invited. That's what he's saying here. He can't believe God has called and commissioned him to preach Jesus to the Gentiles, to the foreigners, to the pagans, to the unbelievers, the ones who formerly did not know God. And so now his mission, Paul's mission, his his fervor, his passion, his joy is proclaiming the riches of God's grace that has now come in Jesus Christ. Paul's pursuit is not pleasure or popularity. It's not comfort or riches. It's not acceptance or power. But Paul's pursuit is God's glory among those who do not yet know him. And so he gladly preaches Jesus. He's humbled, yet he's confident in the good news of the gospel, and so his writing and his preaching are saturated with praise for the God who saves. So may we join in and may we be a people who praise the Savior. May we join the chorus. May we praise the one who saves us by his incalculable grace. May we, church, praise Jesus. May we, like Job and like David and like Paul, may we struggle to describe the greatness and the grace of our God. And may missions simply be the joyful overflow and outflow of our worship. May it never be a burden, but may it always be a privilege flowing from a posture of praise as we celebrate God's grace, proclaiming the incalculable riches of His grace in Jesus to everyone. To everyone. Sinners made servants, we now get to celebrate God's grace, proclaiming the incalculable riches of Jesus Christ to everyone. Paul is especially excited about this. He's excited that he gets to share Jesus with the Gentiles. But he says he's not just to share it with the Gentiles, but to everyone says in verse 8, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me 
to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now here's the deal. We, we read this and we think to ourselves, yeah, but that's Paul. I'm not Paul. And we're right. right. Paul was given a unique role in God's plan of salvation history and of the gospel going to the Gentiles. But even so, Paul's telling his story to stir us with his infectious joy. To lead us by his example, to follow his example, and to invite us, the church, to also join in God's mission. You see, missions was not Paul's job. Missions is not David and Shannon's job, who are preparing to go and serve in Moldova. Missions is not my job. In fact, missions is not a job at all. It's a joyful privilege and commission from Christ our King to given to every one of us. See, you aren't Paul. I'm not Paul. But you know what? Paul wasn't you. Paul didn't work for Alabama Power. Paul didn't play the Spain Park baseball team. Paul didn't attend Oak Mountain Middle School. He didn't teach at Oak Mountain Elementary. He didn't live on Harvest Ridge. You see, no one else is you. You're the one and only you. And if Christ has saved you, then He is calling you to make Him known in your sphere. So wherever that is, wherever your circle is, wherever the Lord has planted you, tell someone. Tell someone this good news of God's grace. Tell someone that this grace is for them. That the God of glory has come to us to do for us what we could never do on our own, what we had never accomplished on our own to live the life, the perfect life, the only perfect life, the life that we didn't, and to take the death that we deserve so that we could be at peace with Him now and forevermore. Let's tell someone, anyone, like we're not told here that some are off limits. No, the mission field is wide open. The harvest is plentiful. So church, let's exalt God by engaging the lost with the riches of His grace. Tell someone... Who do you know who needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Perhaps you need to know. Now you've heard. Now you've heard of the riches of God's grace. May you turn to the God of all grace. Repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Him. And we have a promise from the Word that whoever calls on His name will be saved. May we call on the name of the Lord and may we count it a joyful privilege, church, to proclaim the name of the Lord to the nations of the world for the glory of Jesus Christ until He calls us home. Oh God, would it be so in our lives? Oh God, would it be so in in my life? Oh God, would it be so in this church family? May we be a 
people who gather again and again and again to celebrate your grace. And may we be a people who go again and again and again sharing your grace, showing your love for the glory of your name. Father, you have called us to you. You have transformed us from sinners to servants. God, you have entrusted a message to us, a good message, a message to build our lives upon. Lord, help us to do so. Spirit, guide us to do so for the glory of your name, for the good of your church, and for the growth of your kingdom. And Lord, hear our praise now. Lord, as we exalt you, the only one worthy of worship, God who has come to us, the God who is with us, the God who has always been and will forever be. Hear our praise now as we respond to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.